Well, good morning, everyone. Um, you know, you might wonder why these, uh, why are these things here? Why is that we have a bag of concrete, a cinder block, a Home Depot bucket, and a trowel here? You're probably wondering. You're just thinking, what in the world is he doing now? Okay. Well, I got to share something with you. When I was in the Dallas area, living there for eight years after I graduated from seminary, God kind of led me on a short journey to start my own business. And it was construction business. But one of the things that uh, became one of my best friends was this bag of concrete. Because uh, this bag of concrete uh, helped me to build some fences. If you understand that in Dallas area, everybody has a fence, a cedar fence. They customize them. And, you know, you have to get an auger, a gas auger, to open up the holes, go down about two foot to set the poles. And you can imagine when you have linear foot of 120 to 150, and sometimes in most cases, or some cases, but most cases 120 to 150, you get to the 200, and you have to have a hole about every six foot in order to make a strong fortified fence. And so if you do the math, you've got 20, 30 holes or so, and you got these bags of concrete. Now, mind you, it's usually more than one bag. So if you take 60, maybe half of 60, 90 pounds a hole times about 20 to 30, you're looking about 1,800 to 2,500 pounds just moving these suckers around. Now, I used to pick these up, open them up, and dump them. But I can tell you it was a lot lighter then than it is now. And uh, having to pick these up and, and working was not a problem. But when we're doing, you're thinking, okay, some of you guys out there are contractors, you know that when you get a gas auger and you go in, it's like, oh, yeah, the soil's great. All right, we're good. No, because we had clay soil, and we had roots all around us. So it wouldn't just be five minutes we'd make a set hole. It would take us 25, 30 minutes because I had to take out my sawzall and cut back all the roots, and the roots were terrible. And I'd sit there and, you know, have a hammer and just trying to hammer out around the roots and then cut it back just to set so we could have a hole to set the pole. And so we would work hard, and, you know, when you look at it, you're saying, oh, man, I'm... I got all these holes to do, but now, of course, I would get guys coming in and working with me so that if you get a team, it's much easier than if you're just by yourself because you have to work with one hole at one time. It's 25, 30 minutes, but if you have three or four guys working with you, you can start setting holes. And then when you're doing the concrete, it has to set for a day, so you need 24 hours. But can you imagine picking up these bags or, you know, it would be constantly. Now, you can do the first few, but after a while, you're getting to that 1,500 pounds and you're falling apart. When you have a team, it's much easier. Now, you got to understand my father-in-law. This is my father-in-law's best friend. My father-in-law is 77 years old. He still stones houses. He uses this, and he tells, he tells my son all the time, hey, boy, get over here. You're not strong enough until you can work with this. And so he, he has this, you know, this load, and I don't know, but cinder block is something I don't play with too much, but it's, it's not too bad. It's not super heavy like the 60-pound, but it's probably 20 to 25 pounds. But you got to think about hundreds and hundreds of them you're dealing with and you're building up and you're either building a foundation or building up a garage. It's a lot of work. But when you have a lot of people working, it lessens the load. And I don't know about you, but when we have to dump, you know, concrete and try to mix it, you know, and you're trying to do that, I'm going to tell you something, it's not easy <laughs> because it's working your forearms. I remember my father-in-law, when he had a pallet and we were doing so, he, he's stoning the house and he's trying to set it up and he has a pallet there and he's working. Just can you imagine if there's a pallet and I'm holding it up like this. He's flipping it on there like it's no big deal. 75 years old. I'm sitting there shaking like this, trying to get the concrete on. I'm like, and I'm not kidding you. It was like there was a storm going on. I couldn't hold it because this man just has incredible strength. 
But when you're working with it, it's hard when you're alone. But when you have a team working together, a collaborative team working toward a goal, it gets you to that place where you can finish the project. And I think of, like we've been talking about the building of a wall and how we have to understand that the building of a wall was a lot different. They didn't have bags of concrete. They didn't have cinder block. They didn't have Home Depot buckets. But let me tell you something. They had to come with big boulders, and they had to repair a wall two miles all the way around. And it wasn't that you just do a job, take your time, it's all relaxing. This was a difficult job because they had enemies coming against them. And they were trying to disturb and trying to cause havoc and trying to distract them from the job that God has given them. And we've been talking about the last few weeks of the 2020 vision of how one would have a confident vision. When Nehemiah, when we were talking about Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a confident vision from God. And he, he knew it was his, his vision from God that he had to carry out. And we knew that he had to go to the king in order to get out of his job as a cupbearer to travel 500 miles to go to a city in which he knew God was calling him and to rebuild a wall. He heard about the story. He said, somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to go, and I'm going to go. So he had a confident vision from God, and he decided to go. He didn't ask for anyone else to go but himself. And then when he went there, he realized as he surveyed the land, he had to come together and work together in surveying the land. And when he did, he had his officials, his army men from, from Persia come to, to you know, support him, to protect him from those who were enemies. And we talked about that last week. But he had to have a compelling vision to convince others to work with him. It was... It was great to hear the vision from God, but if you have no one working with you, can you imagine? It's like it is trying to put together a fence that you're looking at 30, 40 holes that you have to fill by yourself, cutting out roots, trying to set the poles and making it ready for the project of building a fence. Well, they had a wall, and they had a wall where there were, it was much heavier than building a fence picking up boulders, trying to create this concrete adhesive so that it could come together and work. But the rebuilding of the wall wasn't so much the ball, but it was the fact that it symbolized security for Jerusalem and it symbolized the importance of who God is in carrying out and preserving the nation for, the kingdom, for his kingdom in the future. So Nehemiah was called, and he knew that. And he had a compelling vision. He called all the Israelites because they were apathetic. They were walking around, looking at this broken wall, the burnt gates, and they were ignoring it. They became apathetic. You know, it's like when you're walking around your house and you know you have projects to do, like I mentioned last week. And you know that there's something you got to do and you keep ignoring it. You know, you're like, oh, man, I'm tired today. I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, day, 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 oh, the day goes later and it goes, oh. Man, I know I said that yesterday, but you know what? I'm still tired. And then another day and another day. Before you know it's like three, four months later, you still haven't tackled that project. I know you guys are like, uh-huh. And then the wife's looking at you right now saying, yeah, remember that project? Aren't you going to get on it? And so lo and behold, you're sitting there and you're saying, man, I'm never going to get to it. But what if you called a friend or two friends or three friends and saying, yo, man, I need your help for just one day. I know I can get this done. What would it look like? All of a sudden, the project's done and your wife says, Finally used wisdom, didn't you, to try to get someone else. Because, see, often we want to be alone thinking we could do it, and then we realize we really need someone else to help us carry out the project. But in this case, they had to carry out the vision. And they had distraction upon distraction. Now, there's momentum when you want to start something in any kind. That's why I'm calling this a collaborative vision. Because whenever you want to start something, 
you have to know that when you're on a vision, especially when you have a vision and you, you're working on a vision and God gives you that vision, you can't do it alone. You're never alone. And sometimes at the beginning you think, okay, we got some momentum here. People are excited. You ever notice when we start something, you get more people show up at the beginning? It's like any class, any project, you get more people coming out. And then all of a sudden, two or three weeks later, you see less people come out. Here's the reason why. I think this is the reason why. I think it's because momentum and motivation are starters. We get excited, we have momentum, we're excited, you know, that we got something going on, we get some motivation going, as starters, everybody gets excited, we give them, we give them compelling reason why we need to do it, it's a vision, but it's not necessarily the finisher. It's not necessarily, the, see, motivation and momentum can only carry you so far. It's a good starter, but we need more than that. And see, with Nehemiah, he had this entire wall to build. And he got them going. He got them excited. In chapter 2, we talked about it last week. And he identified the enemies. And he identified the people who were ridiculing him. And he identified the people who were in intimidating him. But he realized that momentum can only last so long before he knew he had, he had to get something else. Uh, do you ever remember, I don't know if any of you remember, if some of you, or maybe you have. I remember when, uh, when I was a teenager but, you know, wanted to play a sport or start a new job or pursue a potential career, and for some reason, my parents would discourage me in doing so. But we live in an area right now in the Washington, D.C. area where there are those who are in the, from the military or serving in the military or serving in government, and I appreciate all of you, and, and I appreciate you serving. Uh, the other day, I was honored to be with some friends, uh, people who attend here at church, where um, a person was promoted to master sergeant, and I was in a hangar for the first time, got to see the F-16s, was so honored to be with Marcus and Zenvi Boykin, and just for them to invite me to be in a hangar and to sit there and say, wow, like this is really cool. I was like a little boy just looking up at these F-16s and just these planes, and it's like, wow, and then just seeing the ceremony and the colonel speaking, and just really, really honored to see what our our people sacrifice and be willing to give up for a commitment to, to keep our place safe and secure, the United States of America. But can you imagine if, you know, a young man is going up to their mom and they have a vision or they have a goal, they have, they're on a mission, and they say, Mom, I want to join the military. Now, I don't know about you, but if, it, if you would ever get the first response from a mom, I'm sure it could be, why would you want to do that? Are you kidding me? Or you might get the supporting mom and says, oh, honey, I think that's a great idea. You get a chance for a great career, grow in character, learn discipline, and who knows, maybe you'll get the opportunity of a lifetime, be able to go to war. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Really? Really? Would you imagine if that would be that response? I mean, it's a great thing to join the military, but the first response from our mom in her heart. I don't know about you. Most dads were saying, go ahead, son, get, your, uh, get yourself together. Go ahead, daughter, get yourself disciplined. Go ahead. You need some character building. But mom, there's just something about it. But I got to tell you that it takes that commitment. It takes that desire to want to say, I'm willing to sacrifice, commit, do whatever it takes. Sometimes when we do that, people want to distract us from the goal that God has given us. Sometimes there's a vision in our lives. Even mom can get in the way sometimes. Dad can get in the way. 
where we have a vision, we have a goal set, and there can even be a distraction, we don't even realize it. See, Nehemiah was dealing with this. He had many distractions, many who were coming against him, ridiculing him, intimidating him. He had a vision to call, a call and a commitment to follow through, but he knew he needed that collaborating workforce. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. He knew that the rebuilding of the wall would be impossible for him to do. See, collaboration means two or more people working together toward shared goals. There's a team, a process, and a purpose. And what keeps a collaborating vision is the need for a collaborating force who are bought in to accomplish the vision no matter what. No matter what. You move forward. See, when momentum and motivation begins at the, at the point at the beginning, it begins to diminish and people lose heart and one needs others to carry out that vision. And that's why it's important for us to understand that we have to move forward. So I, I believe there are four traits that are necessary for carrying out a collaborating vision. Four that may not be motivation and momentum, although God can use that in between, but I think it takes four. We're going to look at the life of Nehemiah here in chapter four of Nehemiah. So if you can turn to chapter four, we're, going to, we're just going to talk about what are the four things. One is this. If you have your outline in front of you, we need to be determined. We need to be determined. Now, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to share that statement in just a moment next to determined. But Sam Ballot's anger was intensified. Without Jerusalem being in the picture, he was able to have more commercial trade, goods, better influence in the air, and the rest of not having Jerusalem as a military or economical threat. And so what you see here in chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to read it to you. It says this. It says, now when Samballot, now remember, Samballot is the governor of Samaria, an enemy of Jerusalem. And you have Tobiah as well. Tobiah was an enemy spy. He was a CIA intelligence. He was with Samballot, but he also was married into one of the Jews who were building the wall. So here he was hearing both, and he would get information from the Jews, and then he would transfer that over to Samballot. So Samballot knew what was going on because of Tobiah. And Samballot heard, it says in verse 1, that we, that we were building the wall. Nehemiah is speaking. He was angry. And greatly enraged. Now you got to see the separation of those two words because in the Hebrew, they're two words joined together. It's got anger, but then in that form of in Hebrew, it really means hot, intensified, enraged. ESV says enraged, intensified. I mean, he was so angry. Why? Because there, it was a threat against them for Jerusalem to be rebuilt again. Now, now remember, in Ezra, 15 years prior, there was a movement going on. They tried to rebuild the city with the temple and the wall, and it did not work out. So there's some who are still there, concerned. How in the world is this going to happen? And here you have Sam Ballad who's trying to create what we call psychological warfare. He's trying to taunt them, ridicule them, mock them. And it says, greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. That's what the word jeered means. Mocking, ridicule, put down. Try to taunt them in any way to get them. You know, when you're playing basketball, you try to trash talk the players so they could second guess whether they're going to make the shot or not. They trash all back and forth because you're trying to make him go, and it's a psychological warfare, trying to get him off his game to distract him. Then he goes, well, maybe I'm not that good. Maybe he's right. While they're dribbling the ball, and they're saying, oh, okay, well, maybe he's right. Because I missed him in practice. Well, maybe I'm not going to. And here the guy's just talking trash. 
It's kind of what they're doing. They're distracting him, talking trash. The cronies are trying. So he goes, and here's the trash. And he said to the, in the presence of his brothers and, and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? These weak, feeble Jews. What are they doing? Listen, we stopped them 15 years ago. Do they really think they're going to rebuild the wall again? Come on. Will they restore it themselves for themselves? Meaning, is this about them? Are they trying to say that, okay, we're Israelites. Yay, yay, yay. We're Israelites. We're going to rebuild the wall. No. Or maybe it's will they sacrifice? Will they really commit? Will they give up? Will they give up their comforts? I mean, they've been apathetic for 15 years. Will they really sacrifice and risk their lives to rebuild this wall? I doubt it. Will they finish up in a day? I mean, this is going to take years upon years upon years. Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burnt ones at that? And then Tobiah goes even in. He gets in on it. The Ammonite was beside him, and he says, yeah, I know. What are they building? If a fox goes upon it, it will just break down the stone wall. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, so now it's like a fox, a small little animal. But you got to understand that they were taunting him. But let me just share something with you. I love this, just a statement. It says, God will move us through the trial, not simply remove us from it. See, this is a trial. This is a difficulty. They're being ridiculed, intimidated by the enemy. Most would give up. Most would say, I'm out. It's too much work. Most would just say, listen, you know what? I mean, Bruno, thanks, but... After picking up this four or five times, I'm going to get tired. So the next time you want someone else to help you, I'm not going to be there. It's too much work. Or, you know, you get that, uh, you know what, I'm tired. I had a long week. I don't think I'm going to make it. Because what you got to understand is when you start picking this up more and more and you keep just heaving it up and picking it up and picking it up, your back starts to hurt. You're breaking it down. Your back is starting to go in this position. Then you're picking it up and not picking it up properly. And then all of a sudden your back goes out. And then you have to mix and your forearms are just, they're toast. You can't do it. And you want to give up. But, you know, determination. When someone's helping me and saying, come on, Bruno, you can do this. And we're determined to get the job done. When we see it needs to get done, all of us are working together. We encourage one another to get it done. But it's a trial. Maybe you're going through a trial right now. And you think, wait a minute, why am I in it? It's possible that God has placed you in that trial because he wants you to draw closer to him. It's possible that God is allowing the most difficult thing in your life because he wants you to be closer to him and he he created you to be in love, created you to, you could be in the image of Christ, having this closeness, this intimacy, this place of where you can draw close and hear his voice. You know, when we even sang a song this morning in the 9 a.m. sermon, it says, Blessed are you nearer and nearer to God. When we want to be nearer to God, sometimes he has to allow a trial in our lives to get nearer to him. And we have to know that through that, God wants us to go closer to him, even if it's hard. In fact, most of us have to understand that it's through hard trials and difficulties that we grow in determination, grow in understanding that God is not going to remove us from the trial. He's going to move us through the trial. So we have to lean on him. We have to draw close to him. And so it's important for us to gather that. The second thing is this. We need to be dependent on God. We need to be dependent on So motivation and, and momentum doesn't carry us. We need to be dependent on God. We need prayer must be our first resort, not our last. How often do we 
look to God as our last resort. We think God gives us intelligence and wisdom. I mean, he makes us in the image of, 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 of himself and emotional will and intellect. And we think that, okay, you know what? I have the smarts. I have the wisdom. I can get myself out of this trial. But you know what? If I catch myself and I'm not sure about it, I'll turn to God. That's not why God created us. Sometimes we think he just sits there up on the throne. We think we're doing him a favor because he's so busy with everyone else that we think, you know what, Lord, you don't have to be busy with me. I know you're busy. You're probably overwhelmed. You know what, Lord, I got this. Don't worry about it. I don't need to really lean on you right now. No, that's not why he created us. He created us to be dependent on him. See, we live in a world in the United States in a Western mindset where it's individualism. We have to figure it out ourselves. God's saying, no, I don't want you to try to figure it out for yourself. In fact, I'm bringing this trial in your life. I'm causing this to happen so you will be dependent on me. I want you to lean on me. I want you to draw nearer to me. I want you to draw close to me. I want you to learn that through prayer, you can learn who I am and why I created you. See, the beauty of all of this is that Nehemiah learned that. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. You got to understand, he's turning to prayer. Nehemiah 1, 5 through 11, he turned to prayer. Nehemiah 2, 4, he turned to prayer when he was before the king, before he would request of anything. And now he's turning to prayer. When he's being taunted, he doesn't retaliate. When he's being taunted, he doesn't react. He just turns to prayer. And he gives it to God to say, God, I'm going to let you handle these guys. I'm going to let you handle these cronies. I'm going to let you handle these thugs. I'm going to let you handle these guys who are trying to stop us. Because, Lord, this is your wall. This is your vision. This is your Jerusalem. This is yours, Lord. So I'm going to trust you're going to carry me through it. And so I lean on you. So he goes, Lord, I give it to you. Verse 5, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. This wasn't personal. He wasn't carrying out a vengeance on them. See, Nehemiah remembered the covenant. He remembered the commitment. He remembered what he was called to. See, when the vision was revealed, he prayed. When the vision was to be requested, he prayed. To the king. When the vision had to continue remaining, he prayed. He had this culture of prayer. And that's why we want to continue in this culture of prayer, Grace Church, with 21 days of prayer and fasting to lean on the Lord. See, these were the four things he was praying for. He was praying for divine justice. He was praying for the Lord to act. It wasn't personal vengeance. He was passionately praying for the Lord's honor and glory. He was praying for these men to be stopped because they were attempting to stop what God started. What are you depending on to carry out the Lord's vision in your life? What are you depending on? Who are you leaning on? Are you leaning on your own wisdom? Or are you leaning on God in prayer? Are you praying and fasting during this incredible time? You know, Pastor Dennis and I are doing that. We're committed to that booklet. We're committed to praying fast. We're committed to saying, you know what, we're doing this thing. And we hope everybody in the church is doing that because when we're collaborating together, working together, even in prayer, what God can do in the midst of prayer. Look what he's doing is they're praying and they're seeking God. God's protecting them from their enemies. And Nehemiah gets it. He recognizes that he won't retaliate, he won't react, but he'll lean on God 
for prayer. So then when you're looking at verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7, I want to read it to you. Follow with me. But when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. There we go again, very angry, hot, intense, because it was stopping them from what they wanted to do. And all they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion. And, and we prayed to the God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So what did he do? What did he do? He prayed. <laughs> he prayed. He prayed. He says, we prayed to our God. And we set it as a guard of a protection against them day and night. He recognized the importance of being dependent on God. He didn't retaliate. He prayed. Third thing. Devoted. They were devoted to God. He was devoted. See, we have to understand that remembering it's God's calling in us. It's not about us. It's God's calling in us. It's not about us. So after he prays, after he seeks God, all of a sudden now they recognize because the enemies are coming against them. They, they what we say, amp it up. They kick it up a notch and saying, we're going to get them now. We're not just using psychological warfare. We're going to kill them. We're setting it up to kill them. We're going to use our military might now by using swords and trying to kill them. It says this in Nehemiah 4.10 and 14. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling. There is too much rubble. All of a sudden now, all the work started to become more difficult. They were getting distracted. They were being defeated. They were being discouraged. People were coming against them. Now all this work, all the heavy work began to be a burden. And they saw that, the rubble. By ourselves, we are not able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Now all of a sudden now, they're afraid. Why? Because they're second guessing it. How often we get distracted when people are intimidating us. How often people are, are kindly threatening us. They're going to bring a suit against us. They're going to do something against us. How often do we falter and we start to look at it and say, maybe it can happen. And they start second guessing. See, we can't live in the maybe. Can't live in the maybe. How often do we say that? Maybe I missed the call. Maybe I was, you know, just... I don't know, maybe I was too optimistic here. Maybe I thought I could do more than I can. But here was God doing a work in their lives and saying no. It says, at the same time, the Jews who lived there, them came from all directions, saying to them ten times, you must return to us. And then it says in verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the opening places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, with their spears, and their bows, and their bows. And I looked and arose and it said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. That's what it was. It was dedicating saying, I'm going to fight because God is awesome. He's going to get us through this trial. See, that's what it takes because it's a determined heart. It's dependency on God. It's devotion to God. Devoted no matter what. And lastly, it's diligence. Diligence. It's saying, okay, as we pursue God's calling, he will always fight for us. He will always fight for us. 
And see, while they were sitting there, they knew now, okay, God has let us build this, rebuild this wall, move forward. And they recognize that now they have enemies that are coming after them. The rumors are out. Rumors had it. And now rumors came out, right? Rumors came out. And the rumors came that they wanted to dishearten them. They wanted to destroy them. They wanted to kill them. And see, you have to understand that this was, there was a pressure there. But they didn't give up. They continued to be diligent. In verse 15, it says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. Meaning there were actually, they were saying, scholars believe there were officers there because, remember, he came with officers and men of army from Persia, and he was, they were probably getting ready and protecting and getting men and young people and servants and teaching them how to protect themselves. And it says, verse 17, who were building on the wall, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other hand. The sacrifice, the commitment, the striving, the moving, the diligence to say, we're going to do this for the kingdom of God. We're moving forward. We're building this wall. We're not letting it stop us. We don't care who comes against us. No matter what, we're going forward for the kingdom of God. And the diligence is saying that that vision is set before me. I can't give up. I must go. But we got to work together. We got to do this together. It's not just Nehemiah. Guys, Nehemiah's right. We got to go. We got to rebuild this wall. There's an enemy that's coming against us. The cronies of Samballot and Tobiah, working against. And they worked hard, and they were diligent. They knew God was. And I'll tell you, when God is fighting for you and I, nothing's going to stop it. When God wants something to be done, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But we have to be diligent to remain, to remember the covenant, to remember what he has for us, to remember that he fights for us because it's his vision. It's his church. You're his people. We are his people. And Nehemiah got that. Verse 20, it says this, In the place where you heard the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. It doesn't matter what it takes. You guys, trumpet sound. If somebody comes to one of the openings, remember, the gates weren't done yet. They were building the walls. There was openings. Hey, guys, if you need help, just sound the trumpet and we're running. They worked together. They didn't give up. What would it look like? If a church worked together, what would it look like if a church gave well? What would it look like if a church reached a community that desperately needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be set free? What would it look like if a people came together and saying, let's do this. I'm willing to give up my favorite show. I'm willing to give up my favorite sporting event. I'm willing to give up any kind of hobby for the sake of carrying out the vision that God has for us. So that's what it took. They were willing to, to risk their own lives for the kingdom of God. So we labored at, at the work, verse 21, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. All night long, all night, all night long. Sorry. I'm also said to the people at that time, every, every, let every man and his servant pass the night with, within Jerusalem that they may be at guard for us by night and may labor by day. They gave of themselves without sleep. How many of us would be willing to do just a little bit of that? I know we're doing. Some of us are willing to do that. 
but how many of us could we get and do a compelling vision and saying, guys, we need you to join us. It's not just me or Pastor Dennis or any one of us as leaders or staff to try to get you to join us. Come on, join the party. We're ready to do something for the kingdom of God. We want to make an impact in this community. And for an impact, we've got to work hard together. We've got to pick up some, some bags of concrete, some cinder blocks. We've got to mix the cement. Guys, we've got to build this wall. It's going to take each one of us. It's going to take a commitment. So what's it going to do? And that's what he said. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, kept, each kept his weapon at his right hand. They kept moving along. I just believe that we are work together best when we are convinced that God's vision is best for us. It's his vision. We got to be convinced about it. We got to be excited about it. Momentum and motivation won't carry us. You know, we're about to start a baby dedication in a few moments, but wouldn't it be nice, Heather Bell, if you would have people coming to you, 15 and 20 people lining up to talk to you about serving in the children's ministry. We have a, we have a great problem here right now, Grace Church. We have a lot of children right now in the back. And we have, last week, 39, or, you know, 35 to 39, and Pastor Dennis and I are committed. While we're not preaching, we're jumping back there to help. And so in a couple of weeks or so, when I'm not preaching, I'm, I'm just running back there. I'm going to serve and help. So why don't you join Pastor Dennis and I in helping. Join. Heather Bell, stand up, please, if you would. Heather Bell is our children's director. She needs help. And we want to be a place where people, when they come, they're blessed. We want the children to have an awesome time. And just think, if you could help one out of every eight weeks, that'd be six times a year. And just think, if she could have a sub list as long as 20, 30 people, that would be great because she could call you up. And you would be willing to say, yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. How many WWE guys? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it would be great. And what would you do? You would say, yes, I'm willing to serve. So I want to encourage you today. See, we work together best when we are convinced that God's vision is best for us. That's God's vision. We want to be a family unit church. We want to reach our children, our youth, our teens, our adults. And you're probably saying to me, I already do that. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. But maybe some of you don't, and you would like to know what that looks like. Talk to Heather. She would love to talk with you. I want to encourage you on that. So let me take a moment and pray and ask God to continue to lead us. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us today how important it is for us to trust you. Collaborating vision, what does that look like? Lord, I know what it is. It's when we're convinced of your vision for your church. When we're convinced that you have a plan for your church. When we're convinced, Lord, that we can give anything up, willing to sacrifice anything at any cause for your sake. Because our liberty didn't cost us anything. Our liberty was set from you. You sent your son to set us free. And God, we look to you today to show us what that really means. You sent your son, died on the cross for sin, set us free from the debt that we can't pay. 
And now we're yours, the Bible says. The Bible says we're bought with a price. We're yours. So why in the world would we think that living here on earth is our call? We're servants of the Most High God. And if we're servants of the Most High God, we must say, yes, yes, yes. Lord, challenge us this week that we would desire to join the party and work even all night long if it takes. Difficult to grasp, but very important to imagine. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.